The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. A reading from the Epistle of St. James in the first chapter. Every generous act of giving, with every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, They're like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think that they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by this world. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and you are our Redeemer. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Wherefore... Oh, the heads popped up that time. (laughs) My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive the meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. 
It might be the best translation of that passage right there. <laughs> Superfluity of naughtiness loses a little bit of its sting. I'll tell you what, if this was 200 years ago, you guys would be squirming in your seats right now. Like, oh, oh, I know what that means. And Father just called us out. We're in trouble now. Superfluity of naughtiness. This passage comes from the first chapter of the epistle of St. James. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be reading uh, selections, not the entirety of it, but we're going to read selections each week from each of the five chapters in James's epistle. So if you would like, I would encourage you um, after the sermon or even before the sermon in preparation for that week to take whichever chapter we're on and read through it. You can read through it ahead of time. So this week, that would mean you have to read two chapters out of James. I know it's, it's painful, but you know, it's, it's like 41 verses. So I think you'll be able to handle it. Uh, but I would just encourage you to, to pick up James and read through it because the truth is that the epistle of James is among the least read of the New Testament books, especially among Protestants and evangelicals. We don't read James, we don't like James, and because of that, we don't understand James. Or possibly because we don't understand James, we don't read him and we don't like him. There's, there's sort of a little bit of back and forth there that happens in our own hearts and our own minds when we, uh, when we encounter it. But we prefer the way that Paul talks because Paul talks in a way that we're comfortable with. He uses words that we, honestly, he uses words that we think we understand. <laughs> That we, we often don't, but we have, we, we have more familiarity with the way that Paul talks. And James, when we read him, feels foreign. Even if we aren't using old, old, old language like superfluity of naughtiness, James still feels a little bit foreign to us. It doesn't sound exactly like he's speaking in a way that we understand. The book was probably written by James the Just. All right. Now, there were lots of men named James in the early church. It was a very, very common name, uh, especially among Hebrew men during the time of Christ. So Jesus has two apostles. Two of the twelve are named James. There's also one of the one of the kinsmen of Jesus is also named James. Uh, he's the one that we refer to as James the Just, who later becomes the, the, the first bishop in the church in Jerusalem. But he's not one of the twelve. There are two other Jameses who are in the twelve. So you can see why it gets a little bit complicated, right? Uh, there's, there, there's James, who's the brother of John, and there's another James. They call him James the Less. <laughs> right? I'm sure that he appreciates that. We're sorry. Uh, uh, he's the son of Alphaeus. Uh, so so we, we have all of these different Jameses that are sort of floating around, and we, it's, it's hard sometimes to keep track of them all, right? The tradition of the church says that this letter was written by James the Just, and it makes sense because the letter that he writes, he says at the very beginning of this that I'm writing this to the 12 tribes, to, to God's people, to, to God's covenant people who have been dispersed, who are in exile. He's writing this to people who aren't at home. So he's writing these words to covenant people, to Jews 
who are living away from Jerusalem. And that little piece of information there helps us immensely to understand what James is doing. You see, James's missional context, the place in which James is doing ministry, is among the Jewish converts to Christianity. Paul is doing ministry not typically among Jewish converts, but among Gentiles. Now, some of those Gentiles were Gentile converts to Christianity, who, or to Judaism, who later converted to Christianity. But most of the people among whom Paul is doing his ministry, among whom Paul is doing his work, are people who do not belong to the Jewish community. They're sort of Jewish adjacent. They're nearby. They understand it a little bit, but it's not who they are. It's not a part of their identity. Whereas for James and for the people who are receiving and hearing and reading the letter that that St. James writes, that's who they are. That's their identity. We are part of the 12 tribes. And though we live away, we're still part of that community. We're still part of that covenant. That is the identity that we receive. And so James is going to use very specific language all throughout this book. And he's doing that in a way to call their attention back to not the Torah, back to not the writings of the, uh, of, of the prophets, but call them back to the gospel that they heard proclaimed by Jesus Christ and by his disciples. Now, that's not to suggest that those two things are opposed to each other, okay? There is not a contradiction between the law or the prophets or the teachings of the gospel. But oftentimes when Paul writes, Paul is arguing from Scripture to people who have never encountered Scripture before. And he's drawing them into a new way of thinking and seeing the world around them. But for James's audience, they already understand that world, and so James is going to call them back again to a new way of understanding that world. And he's going to draw our attention over and over and over again back to these central pillars of the faith. Each of the chapters that, that, are, that, that his letter are divided up into speak to specific issues of what it means for us to live as Christians. In chapter 1, we're going to learn about living a life of integrity. And in chapter 2, we're going to learn about living a life uh, where we live in the midst of justice. And in chapter 3, we're going to learn what it looks like for us to live, uh, to live for peace. And in chapter 4, we're going to learn to, what it means for us to live as God's friends. And he's going to call us back to the very beginning at the end of the book by calling us to live for righteousness. Integrity, justice, peace, community, and righteousness. Those are the central ideas, the central things that James is trying to draw our attention to. This question of, now that we know who Jesus is, how do we live? How do we live in the world around us hearing the gospel? We've heard the gospel, so how do we live now? At the very beginning of this, James says, by doing, not just by hearing. He draws a stark line between those two things. On the one side, we have people who listen, people who hear. And on the other side are people who have heard and who now 
do. He says, I want you to be people who do, not just people who listen. Verse 25, not being hearers who forget, but doers who act. Not hearers who forget, but doers who act. And so the question that we have sitting before us is, what does it mean for us to do the things that God has called his people into? What does it look like for us to act in a way that is in concert with, that is in fellowship with the gospel that we have received. For the last several weeks, we've been reading this bread of life discourse from John chapter 6, where Jesus is, is teaching over and over again that for us to encounter, to experience, to receive the life of Christ means that we have to chew on it. We have to take his life into ourselves and, and absorb every last ounce of its nutrition. We have to take everything that God is offering into ourselves and be transformed by that encounter. And it's not just something that happens when we come to the Lord's table. It's something that we encounter in part at the Lord's table and that we enact or that we in flesh or that we incarnate fully in our life together as the community of God's people, as the people of God. The bread of life is what exists in the midst of God's people. The question that James wants us to, to ask is what does it look like for us to do that? How do we live out Christ's life in our community. And not surprisingly, what James is going to say is something that we see over and over again in Paul. And the answer to that question is by knowing who we are. We can't live those things out just by saying, well, I heard Father Lee speak those words on Sunday and now I'm going to have a new life and we go out and we're just going to do it. Just because we're strong enough or we have enough self-will or we have enough self-control it's not going to happen. My words to us each week are meant to shape our imagination, but my words don't change you. What changes you is not you guys sitting together in a room and singing hymns. What changes you is not you guys sitting here and listening to the word of God. It's not you guys sitting here and receiving from the Lord's table. All of those things are part of the transformation that happens in our hearts. But it only takes root when we know who we are. Because if we walk outside of the church today, if we leave here imagining that we belong to ourselves, if we imagine that righteousness and holiness, that integrity and justice and peace are things that we can accomplish in and of ourselves, then we're going to mess up. We're going to fail. It's always going to look wrong when we do it. Because we don't have that in ourselves. That's why James says, what I want you to do is to put away all of the filthiness and all of the rampant wickedness. And instead, I want you to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I want you to put away all of the filthiness and the naughtiness. 
right? That word filthiness that he uses is a word that has to do with uh, your clothes getting encrusted with filth, all right? Sometimes, like when we hear that word, we have this uh, usually a moral connotation that's associated with it, putting away all of your, your filthiness. We're like, oh, well, that's, you know, like bad talks or dirty jokes or something like that. We're like, we got to put away all of her. I've heard preachers say that to me, but that's not what the word means. What the word means is, is literally like having grime encrusted clothes on and taking them off and setting them aside. That's what the word means. We actually still use this word in dentistry. It has to do with like... You know, you get that scungy stuff on your teeth when you wake up in the morning, and if you're super dehydrated, it'll turn like black, and and it's it 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 will it like it's disgusting. They have to get like tools to scrape it off and break it loose. That's what that word is. They use that same word to describe that stuff that gets in your mouth when you're sick and ill. It's nasty. And he's saying, this is what your clothes are like. Get rid of them. He says, I want you to put away the rampant wickedness, the superfluity of naughtiness. The word that he uses there is a Greek word that means your rage. I want you to stop being angry all the time. He says this again, your anger doesn't produce righteousness. So get rid of the clothes that make you stink. And put away the rage that you think is going to accomplish righteousness. And instead, he says, receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, what does that word meekness mean? What does it mean for us to receive the implanted word with meekness? Sometimes when I've heard this passage taught on before, it comes across like, well, what you need to do is figure out how to get rid of the dirty clothes that you're wearing, and you need to stop being angry. Now go do it. I don't know about you. Maybe you guys have like incredible self-power, you know, control and will and all of that. That doesn't do me any good. It does me absolutely no good if somebody just tells me, you know, well, stop doing that. I, Okay. I mean, I, I can probably get, get, get along with it for a few days or maybe a few weeks, but the truth is I'm just going to slide back into it. I don't have that. I don't have that power. That's, that's, not the way that, that, that's not the way that we work. That's not the way that sin works in, in our lives. We don't just throw sin off and say, oh, I'm just going to not sin anymore. It doesn't happen that way. No, what he says is that we need to receive the implanted word which is able to save our souls with meekness. With meekness. Understanding that we are not the ones who are going to put new clothes on. Understanding that we need to throw these things away. The filthiness that clings to us. The disease that is clinging to us. And the rage that is burning us up. We need to throw those things away. And we can't. No matter how hard I try, I can't throw those things away. I can't make myself clean. And that's the point that James is making. He says, I want you to receive the implanted word, not by grasping it, but by receiving it with meekness to know that we're not the ones who are in control. All that we can do is say to God, I can't get rid of the disease in me. I can't stop being angry anymore. 
I can't stop trying to fix myself and fix my home and fix my world and fix my, my, my community. I can't. I can't do it. I need you to do it, God. That's what meekness looks like. It looks like you and I recognizing that we're not the ones who are in control. It's you and I recognizing that it's only God's grace that produces righteousness in us. We said that in our collect for this week. God, it's only by your grace coming behind us and going ahead of us that we're able to produce good works for your kingdom. We're only able to join you in the work of building your kingdom because your grace is carrying us along and your grace is laying down the road ahead of us as we go. It's so easy for us to hear those words, to hear that encouragement, to say, oh, well, you just need to stop being naughty and filthy. And say, okay, well, I I guess I'll just stop doing that. But that doesn't change us. It doesn't change my heart. It doesn't change your heart. We just hear it. And then later this afternoon, something comes along and that rage boils up in us. And then sometime tomorrow, those old urges and desires and hungers in our hearts show up. And we're just like people who come and look in the mirror and then walk away and forget what we've seen. It doesn't go away just because I want it to go away. It only goes away when I come to the Lord and say, I'm not worthy to gather up the crumbs under your table. There is nothing that I am bringing to this relationship. All that I can do is say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And when that happens, the soil in our hearts is prepared for God to begin planting the seeds of grace and hope and faith and love to receive with meekness the implanted word that is able to save our souls. It's only when you and I set aside the illusion that we are able to fix ourselves that you and I can find healing and cleansing and forgiveness and wholeness. It's not something that we can produce of ourselves. We aren't strong enough. That's why Jesus came to set us free. We can't do it ourselves. That's the gospel. We're not good enough. We're not strong enough. We need a savior. And when we orient ourselves, when we shape our hearts, when we put those lenses on so that we can see the world around us, not as though it's something that I can fix. When I look in the mirror and see myself as I really am, all that I can say is, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And when that happens, God begins to produce his righteousness in us. Because every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Because he brought us forth as first fruits 
of his kingdom. Because when we receive his implanted word, he is able to save our souls. It's not something that we're accomplishing. It's something that God is accomplishing. If you and I will become humble. If you and I will say, I can't fix myself. I need you, Jesus. I need your healing. I need your justice. I need your righteousness. I need your peace. I need you, Jesus. That's what James is about. James is about God's people saying, I can't do this on my own. I need you, Jesus. Because I want to be somebody who has integrity and I want to be somebody who has justice and peace and community and righteousness, but I can't do it. I need you, Jesus. I want the world that you want, Jesus. I want to want the world that you want, Jesus. But I can't do it. I need you. So this week, my encouragement to you is to sit down with James chapter 1. And as you finish reading James chapter 1, simply pray, I need you, Jesus. And when you're sitting in traffic and frustrated by the people who are around you, say, I need you, Jesus. And when you're at work or at school and the people around you are being obnoxious and stupid, say, I need you, Jesus. And when sin that you thought you'd gained victory over starts to well up inside of you and you feel that hunger again, say, I need you, Jesus, to make our prayer this week, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Father is restored.